This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Got it! Oh, that's a good start. George Kirby, Major League debut. Bang and a miss. Struck him out. He comes from behind. Oh, that's a beautiful pitch. There. Say goodnight. Two down. Strikeout number five for Kirby. His sixth strikeout. The 0-2 pitch. He got him. George Kirby through five. There it is. Sharply to right field. Royce Lewis gets his first big league hit. Well, how about this? Alec Thomas the other way. And there's the first base hit for Alec. It's a double. Welcome to the big leagues, young man. Here's the whole crew, grandparents, mom and dad, brother, sister, girlfriend, grandparents in the front, their mom and dad in the back. What <laughs> a boy, kid. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra, who is pinch hitting for Jonathan Mayo, who's on the IL. We had... Some exciting debuts in the big leagues over the past week. In the course of a week's time, we saw five top 100 prospects debut. We're going to talk about those guys, and we're going to do a little something there. We're going to rank them based on their long-term value. Then we have several other elite prospects who are on the cusp in AAA, and we're going to take a look at who we might be seeing soon out of the top of that group. We're also going to look at some pitchers who are off to hot starts in the minor leagues. And we're going to talk a little bit about our pipeline game of the month. Sam Dykstra is headed to Norfolk for a very nice matchup there, which will be on MLB.tv. And we can't be this close to the draft and not talk about the draft. Jim's going to have a mock draft out this week, so we'll preview that a little bit. And then we'll wrap up, as we always do, with the mailbag. Gents. Welcome, Sam. Thanks very much for filling in for Jonathan Mayo. You're doing that on, on several fronts right now. Yeah, no, happy to do it. I'm very excited about, first off, being on this show with you guys, as always. It's always fun to jump on with this, but going down to Norfolk on Thursday is going to be super fun. We'll get into that later about why specifically, because there are some big names that are going to be there. But yeah, thanks so much for having me this week. All right, so let's talk about the week that was, I think, starting at the bottom of the top 100 list in terms of these guys who made their big league debuts over the course of a week. Start with Jose Miranda of the Twins. And I think they go in chronological order this way, too. I think Miranda debuted on the second. I believe MJ Melendez debuted on the third. Royce Lewis, George Kirby, Alec Thomas, the sixth, and then the last two, both on the eighth. But we had these five top 100 prospects all making their debuts. And I said, Sam, that you've been filling in for Jonathan in a lot of regards. Whenever a top 100 prospect debuts in the big leagues, we do a story on what you can expect from these players. And Jonathan has been on quite a run early this year with the players uh, that belong to his teams making their debuts and conveniently out sick while a bunch of his players got called up. But 
let's let's go down the list here. You guys want to go ahead and rank them? I'm going to jump right into to ranking them based on their long-term value. I mean, they're obviously ranked on the top 100, largely based on that, but maybe slightly differing opinions. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we're on the same page. Um, I, I know Sam's rankings because Jason told me, as a, and, and Sam may not know mine, but like I, I think we're both in agreement. I, I think of those five guys. It, it was pretty clear to me, Sam. I, I, I like Alec Thomas a lot. Like for, for a guy who's as accomplished as he is and ranked as high as he is on the top 100, I actually feel like he's flown under the radar a little bit just because, you know, Corbin Carroll seems like he's almost gotten more hype, even though to this point he had been hurt and Alec Thomas came into the the organization a year earlier, you know, Alex 18th on the list, but, but you know, Alex Thomas has just hit every place he's gone since he was a second round pick in 2018 and the powers increased at every level. So I, I just, I would be shocked if Alec Thomas is not a successful big league hitter. So I, I would take him number one among that group, Sam. How, and I think you would too, right? Yeah, I yeah, I would. And you mentioned some other rankings I did. Anybody who got the MLB Pipeline newsletter this week, um, I ranked these guys based off impact for 2022, which is a different conversation than we're having here, which is long-term value for their entire careers. But Alec Thomas was number one on that list there. He would be number one on my list here as well because of everything you talk about, Jim, him just the way he's improved offensively the last few years. He hits to all fields. We saw that in his debut when he doubled to left field. There are some questions about, like, what can he be as a power hitter? But it seemed to work off pretty well there, the way he made contact in that first game. It's a little weird trying to judge D-backs prospects because they play at the upper levels. They play at AA Amarillo, which is maybe the most hitter-friendly home ballpark in all of AA. And then they move to AAA Reno, which is playing in the desert, very dry, pretty easy to show power there as well. But it does seem like the power gains for Thomas are real. And the thing we should mention too that makes him such a well-rounded prospect and why we're so high on him is his defense. He's a plus runner. He seems to cover a lot of ground. He's got great instincts. And that goes back to probably learning from his dad, who was a minor league outfielder and a strength coach in the White Sox system up until this year. Um, He's been around the game for a very, very long time in that Chicago area. Uh, It shows on the field. It showed when he was a teenager before he even came into the draft. And, you know, that's why we're high on him. He can do multiple things. Even if he's not hitting, he can maybe steal bases. He can turn singles into doubles. He can turn doubles into triples. And he can field the ball extremely well. It's going to be a great show someday when Corbin Carroll joins Alec Thomas in that outfield and we're having a legit debate over who is a better center fielder between those two. But for right now. And what if they draft Drew Jones too? Exactly. They they, they could draft Drew Jones this year and then they both are going to get stuck on the corners, which would be (laughs) a pretty crazy outfield. Right. You almost dare a hitter to hit it to the grass in that point and, and have them not catch it. So, um, and it's, it's an exciting future for Arizona. We've said that for a while based off how the farm system has grown in the last two years, I would say. Um, but Thomas arriving is a big signal that they might be getting close to turning a corner there. If Alec Thomas was in this year's draft, I don't think he would have lasted 63 picks like he did in 2018. He he was an overslot guy, but it wasn't like he got, you know, top 20 pick money. He got $1.2 million there in, in the second round. But I think at the time, guys, this happens sometimes in the draft where I think teams got hung up on like what he couldn't do. Like, like Alec doesn't throw well. That That's his worst tool. And there were questions about the power. But he could really, really hit. And we saw last year, there were guys in last year's draft who could hit and the rest of their tools were average at best. And they went in the 30s and 40s. And, and I just, I don't think if, if Al Thomas was, well, I know it wasn't even that long ago, but I think if he was in 
in, in the draft today. I don't mean this year's draft crop, crop specifically. I, I just don't think Alec Thomas lasts anywhere close to 63 picks. I think he goes about 40 picks higher. And in retrospect, I mean, he's been, I don't, I didn't count it up how many high school outfielders were drafted ahead of him, but he's been the best of that group from the 2018 draft class. Okay, so he went 63rd overall in 2018, had a very nice debut in which he slashed 333, 395, 463 for an OPS of 858. And then 2019, posted an 829 OPS and then made his debut on the top 100 prospects list on the preseason list anyway in 2020, debuted at number 49, dropped down to number 81 in the 2021 list, but then vaulted up to number 18 in this year's preseason top 100 list. Uh, So he was the highest ranked of the five players to make their debut over the past week. Next up was George Kirby, who uh, this was an interesting situation for us in particular because we had a minor league game that we were going to be showing on MLB.tv on Saturday, and it lined up to be a really great pitching matchup between George Kirby of Arkansas and Jack Leiter of Frisco. And then that day, Jonathan, I've jokingly said from his deathbed, well, not on his deathbed, but while sick, breaking news that George Kirby would be making his debut with the Mariners that next day. So we lost our great pitching matchup for that MILB on MLB.tv game, but George Kirby right out of the gates showing why everybody's so excited about him. I wish I'd known. We were in Seattle visiting our youngest daughter, but we we, we flew back uh, Sunday morning. Had I known, I could have told my wife, like, what better way to spend Mother's Day than to go watch George Kirby make his big league debut? But uh, we were we were already flying back by the time he did. No, Anne would have loved that, I know. Yes, big George Kirby. She, she likes she likes her pitchers who combine stuff and uh, and throw a lot of strikes. So she would have been thrilled with George Kirby. But like, you know, I think the most interesting thing about George Kirby was his command was what stuck out the most when he was in college at Elon, because his command was ridiculous. You know, he had a hundred and seven to six strikeout to walk ratio in his draft year, but like he sometimes gets billed as a command over stuff guy, and I think. That's not like that makes it sound like he was throwing 87 miles an hour or something. He had solid stuff and it's kicked up a notch. I mean, he had a 91, 95 mile an hour fastball when he was at Elon and he can really spot it. And now he sits 96, 98 pretty consistently. He can flash a plus curveball and slider. The changeup's pretty good. I still think the best attribute of George Kirby is the strike throwing. I mean, he's only walked 20 guys in 115 minor league innings. Six shutout innings, you know, big shock, no walks in his big league debut. And, you know, I think with him and Logan Gilbert, that's going to be a pretty good one-two punch for Seattle. And they obviously have, you know, Matt Brash has gotten an opportunity. They spent a first-round pick on Emerson Hancock. They've got other pitchers coming through the system. You know, they signed Robbie Ray. They, they have a pretty good foundation for a, a solid rotation, one through five in Seattle right now. Yeah, I mean, the, you talk about the stuff taking a jump for Kirby. You and talk about where he's sitting. He was sitting 95.8 miles per hour in that MLB debut. I think he was the first Mariners rookie ever to throw six or more scoreless innings in his first MLB start. Not that the Mariners have like a history going back to the 1910s or anything, but still that's, that's a crazy stat to kind of throw out there and, and shows you just how well he plugged himself in, in jumping from double A. Now we can debate whether he should have been a double A to begin the year or not, but still he, he looked major league ready very much. So in that first start, the thing that stood out to me was he got 13 swings and misses on the fastball. 
Like you can spot it really well, but for whatever reason, raise hitters, and there are some good raise hitters on that team, could not make contact against the heater specifically. Yeah, he mixed in the slider and the change, but it, it, it was very interesting to see the heater get so many whiffs. Um, and that's promising because teams might start trying to sit on that, but guess what? He's going to come at you with three other above average to plus pitches that he can also spot really well. I think the big thing to watch with him going forward was it sounds like he had some shoulder fatigue last year that limited him in terms of innings. I think he was only up to 67 and two-thirds innings last year between high A and double A. Probably going to be on an innings limit this year. He's, as we stand right now, between the majors and double A's at 30 and two-thirds. If we're talking 100 and 110 innings, it, the gas tank might get low pretty quick for him. And, and how hard is Seattle going to ride him as the season goes along? If we get in a situation where the Mariners are competing for an AOS title or a wild card spot, are they really going to take him out or are they going to manage innings in the middle of the year? It could be fascinating to follow that. But that's really the only question for me going forward. He looked major league ready. The stuff certainly plays. The control certainly plays. And he looked like a mid-rotation starter already with maybe even some room to grow beyond that. I think that's a great point, Sam, because I know I worry when I see a guy's stuff make a dramatic jump. Oftentimes, guys get hurt you know, when that happens. And his stuff made a jump, I think, during the pandemic year when there were no official innings and he didn't pitch a lot last year. And I, I do think his fastball is going to play because he locates it so well. I just think, it, like, right now it's very difficult, you know, the way things are going to catch up to a fastball that's up in the strike zone. And unlike, say, not to pick on, on Hunter Green, you know, Hunter Green gave up five home runs in his last start. Hunter Green throws harder than George Kirby. But if Hunter Green doesn't keep his fastball up at the letters and gets it more, you know, belt high or, or where they can get some leverage on it, it gets crushed. And I think George Kirby's command is just so good that he can – I was going to say more often than not, but that's not even doing justice. Almost all the time, George Kirby puts his fastball exactly where he wants it, which is why it's difficult to catch up to. All right, so Kirby is currently number 30 on our top 100 prospects list. You guys both have him number two on this list in terms yeah, of yeah. ranking these guys on their long-term value. Okay, so next on the list in terms of ranking is Royce Lewis, who is number 44 on our top 100 prospects list. Now, here's a guy who... In terms of, you know, his top 100 rankings, you know, number one overall pick. So he's going to, by virtue of that, debut pretty high on the top 100 prospects list. And he did at number 20 in 2018. Jumped up to num- all the way to number five in 2019. In 2020 was number nine. In 2021 was number 17. And he's he's fallen, you know, since he peaked at number five, he's fallen a bit and I, I just I kind of wonder whether he's getting potentially a little short changed here because he didn't necessarily fall due to performance, did he? Oh yeah, sure he did. Yeah, he was terrible in 2019. Yeah, because of the one the one season. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, I'll take exception there, Jason, because <laughs> I, I I do like Royce Lewis, but he was really good in the first half of 2018. He was okay in the second half of 2018. He was terrible in 2019. So if you want to play, and I will play devil's advocate. What about the fall? What about the fall? You're not buying into the fall league performance. I mean, the fall league performance was encouraging. However, there's a lot of guys who hit in the fall league. I, I mean, I, I just don't buy into like, you know. I know after the fall league, we were like, okay, he turned it around. He looks better. He's not trying to do too much at the plate. He still didn't command the strike zone tremendously. 
in, in the fall league. I wanted to see what he was going to do in 2020, and there was no 2020. Then I was like, okay, I'm really curious to see how Royce Lewis is going to bounce back in 2021. Can he can he build off of that? And he got hurt, so we didn't see him in 2021. So I, I just I, I would take exception that it wasn't performance based because I mean, if you wanted to be harsh, I mean. Royce Lewis had a half season with an ops over 800 in 2018 once he got to full season ball. And that was his only time over 800. And he was terrible in 2019. So I, I think his fall was performance-based. And then the question was, he lost two years of at-bats. How is he going to come back from that? So I'm sorry for reacting violently, but I, I do think his fall was extremely performance-based. Well, except for the fact that he was still ranked number nine going into the 2020 season too high after that after <laughs> wait, no, these are your these are your rankings jim um but you know then he dropped from nine to 46 without any perform you know with no performance in there because like you said he there was no 2020 season he didn't play in 2021 so that leads me to question whether maybe maybe he's getting a little short changed here like if there hadn't been a pandemic if he had been able to play and he hadn't been injured those are Obviously, huge caveats, but is he regarded as a better prospect at this point? Um, you're know, talking to people in the industry, you know, and Jonathan does the twins, so we don't have him here to. He's probably talked to more people about about Lewis, but I I just know that there was more apprehension about Royce Lewis losing two years of at bats, coming off of a full season where he hit two thirty six um, and really struggled. Um, and so I think there were a lot of questions like I, I'm happy to see him bounce back. It was, it, he, he looked good in the fall league. You know, I don't know if we've ever had him on the podcast, but he's great interview in the fall league. He's great to talk to. I, I don't know that a month, like after a month of performance that I'd say, okay, he's a top 10 prospect in baseball again. I, I wouldn't go quite that high. And I, and I do think there's, there's somewhat of a defensive question as to where exactly he fits best on the diamond. You know, is he going to be able to stay in the dirt, or, or is he going to be an outfielder? So I, I just think there's a lot of questions which he which he still needs to answer to some degree. Right, and one thing we kept saying is he's missed at bats, but also he's coming off a torn ACL, and he, one of his biggest assets was his speed. We didn't know exactly how that was going to play coming off a, a major injury like that. It's it's been encouraging. It's looked good so far, both in the majors and in that brief time at AAA St. Paul. So he has checked that box. But coming into this year, I mean, that was just beyond just what was he going to look like at the plate, was he going to still have that athleticism that makes him a potential shortstop, that makes him a stolen base threat, that could allow him to move to center field had he needed to. We just needed to see it beyond just the turning around the hitting performance. Hey, so I'll ask you, I'll just, and I'll answer too. I haven't even thought of my answer. But Sam, if you were if you were doing a ranking today, a top 100 ranking, we'll ask Jason this as well. Where would you put him on the top 100 list if you were starting from scratch, like rough rough range? I would maybe bump him five, ten spots up, but I, I don't know if I would, you know, as encouraging as it's been to see him hit AAA, and, you know, obviously the Twins are encouraged by bringing him up this quickly when Carlos Correa was hurt. I know he's on the 40-man, so that transaction was pretty easy, but, you know, he's answered the questions pretty well about that speed, about the the hitting performance. One thing we should mention is that he's dropped the big leg kick that was a big issue for him it seemed like in 2019 he doesn't really do that anymore he does almost like a double toe tap now um, which seems to help him stay behind the ball that's a that's a thing that he's actually improved this is not something that we can say well it's small sample size anything can happen we don't know how he's adjusted you can see it in the tape 
So that's encouraging to me. I would probably move him five, 10 spots just because I would want the sample to increase before I say he's a top 10 overall prospect again. But saying he's improved his stock, yeah, sure. Like move him into the 30s. And I, I would be comfortable with that. I was going to say, he toned down that leg kick during the fall league too, which was something people noticed. But it, I'm with you. I mean, I would probably, I mean, the thing is, a lot of the guys we have ahead of him are off to good starts. It's not like they've necessarily fallen. That I, I, I would probably. Where is he right now? He's 44th on our list. Yep. You know, I, I could see having him closer to 30, somewhere around there. How about you, Jason? How high are you putting Royce? Yeah, I was, I was just looking at the guys in front of him on the list. I thought we don't have time to do this right here for the full list of guys ahead of him, but we could do a quick yes, no. The guys ahead of him, would you bump him ahead of Bryson Stott? Sure. Yeah. I think he's got a higher ceiling. Luis Camposano. Yes. Yes. Matthew Lieberton. Yes. Yep. Nick Lodolo. I would say, yeah, I'd take the hitter over the pitcher. I like Nick Lodolo. I think I know the answer to this one. <laughs> Yuri Perez. No. No. Jackson Job. No. no. Kate Cavalli. Maybe. Yeah, I I think that's more about Cavalli dropping based off how he's done earlier in the year. Yeah. You can kind of meet those two in the middle. That's maybe where we're getting at here is is you, you move Cavalli down a few spots, you move Lewis up a few spots, and the, those guys are pretty close. Yeah. So we're getting them we're getting them into the 30s here, it sounds like, and we won't go through the, the full list of names. But. <laughs> That'd be an exciting podcast. We rattle off 43 names. Uh, Bobby Wood Jr. No. All right. Um, so, but, but you both have him number three on your list of, of these five guys who debuted over the past week in terms of long-term value. Yeah. And you know, look, if you want to argue him versus Kirby hitter versus pitcher, Sam mentioned Kirby's had shoulder issues. He's never pitched a lot of innings in a season. I think you could argue it. I, I just, you know, for, for hitters, or for position players, your comfort with the bat is, is a big thing to me. And for pitchers, you know, comfort being, you know, like, like the command is like the hitting ability to me for a pitcher. And I just think George Kirby's command is so good. I would take George Kirby's command over Royce Lewis's bat, even though I, I do like Royce Lewis's bat. Okay, so there are the top three. Uh, and then we have two left, MJ Melendez and then uh, Miranda, who we have discussed, Jose Miranda. Melendez is ranked number 49 on the top 100. Miranda, number 92. Sam, are you going to pull an upset here? Are you going to go with Miranda over Melendez? No, I'm sticking with Melendez over Miranda. When I did the newsletter rankings, I flipped them just for 2022 impact because Salvador Perez exists. It's just difficult to imagine how much MJ Melendez can really contribute to the Royals right now, he only got called up because Cam Gallagher, uh, their backup catcher, got hurt. Um, he has some third base. He has some corner outfield experience. They may have to continue moving him around in the majors. But all of that is him learning a new position, and we still don't know exactly how he's going to respond to those spots. But overall, I mean, MJ Melendez, last year's minor league home run leader with 41 homers. The power is certainly increased. He is a much, much better hitter than 2019. You want to talk about guys who have improved with getting at bats. I think he's really athletic as a catcher. He's got a really good arm. Um, he can certainly play back there. Uh, it's just, he happens to be sitting behind an all-star catcher and one of the top three, top five backstops in the game. So it's difficult to see a path forward for him here, but he's definitely capable long-term of being a major contributor back there for a major league team. I think comparing those two guys, I think Miranda's the better pure hitter. I think Melendez has got more power, but like if you were, if you were mixed on the bats, I think that the, the the big edge for me is on defense, where I think Melendez has a chance to be a real asset behind the plate, 
Whereas with Miranda, the question is, where exactly do you play him? He's played all over the place. I, I don't think so much because he's this like versatile dude who's going to play six positions in the big leagues. He's played all over the place as the Twins look like, you know, basically like, where can we play this guy? And it very well might wind up being, you know, first base, you know, maybe left field. I, I, I don't really think he's a guy you're going to play at second or third much in the big leagues. But so, so that to me is the separator that – you know, different types of offensive players, but I think Melendez's defense gives him the advantage for me. Yeah, Melendez doesn't need to be a 40-homer guy to provide value to the Royals or any whatever MLB team he ends up playing for if, you know, they do end up looking elsewhere because Perez is signed to an extension. Miranda, if he's going to be first base, if he's going to be DH, he basically got brought up to replace Miguel Sano, who's injured right now. And that's not to provide a lot of defensive value, but to provide a lot of offensive value. And if he's not going to clear that bar, it's going to be much more difficult for him. That's why we ranked him where we did, because, hey, he was a great, great hitter last year, um, arguably one of the most effective in the minors. But um, if we don't know where he's going to play defensively, then it, it's tough to argue him over Melendez, I think, long term anyway. Just to clarify, too, you know, Royce Lewis, we don't know exactly where he's going to play defensively. And there is some question in Phil versus Southfield. But Royce, Royce, we're talking different guys here. Royce is very athletic. He, you know, he, he's got, you know, it, it's just a matter of what's the best fit. Whereas Miranda, it's like, it's more like, where, where exactly can we play this guy? Yeah, we're talking about premium positions with Lewis. We're talking shortstop. We're talking center field. We're talking maybe second base or third. But it's not like we're talking first base slash DH. All right, so the rankings hold true when ranking these five top 100 prospects who debuted last week. We also want to look ahead at some guys who we could be seeing in the near future. But first, we're going to take a break. We'll talk about that, and we'll also look at some pitchers who are off the hot starts. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Sam Dykstra. We talked about the five top 100 prospects who made their big league debuts over the past week. And now we want to look ahead a little bit at some more guys who are on their way. We've talked a lot about how this year was unusual in that the top of our top 100 prospects list was just loaded with guys who were either going to start the season in the big leagues and make their big league debuts or were right on the cusp. And that still continues to be the case as a lot of these guys did start in the big leagues, but there are several top 20 type prospects who are right there knocking on the door. And we'll start at number two with Adley Rutschman, number six, Grayson Rodriguez. We have also a triple a Brennan Davis, number 15, Tristan Casas, number 16, of course, Riley green. Uh, we haven't seen yet this year. I got injured during spring training, but he's also right there at the AAA big league level. Gabriel Moreno, number seven, catcher in the Blue Jays organization, also at AAA. So of these guys, 
who are we going to see next? Who are we going to see first out of this group? I'm going to go. I, I'm going to maybe surprise you guys. I'm going to say Tristan Casas of the Red Sox because I, even though they have a terrible record, I think they are trying to contend this year. Bobby Dahlbeck, who's streaky. I don't even know if we can call him streaky this year because he hasn't had a good streak. He's hitting 139. The offense has been terrible. They need an infusion. So I think the Red Sox are the most desperate, and I think they could call up Casas, who's having a, a solid year in AAA. And, and from everything we've seen about Tristan Casas, he doesn't try to do too much. He, he works counts. He lets his power come naturally. It's the type of guy who theoretically could transition well to the big league. So I'm going to go with Casas over the, the vaunted Orioles duo because I think at this point, if, if you haven't been up this season and your team's not trying to contend, you might as well just keep guys down until they're su- you know you delay their their super two arbitration eligibility. Yeah, Costas is a good call just because. I mean the the idea of that we typically look at these guys as prospects in their own right and how they're doing and whether they're forcing the issue. But sometimes there's going to be a legit hole at the major league level. There's certainly one at first base right now. I think Costas is a better defender. Then Bobby Dahlbeck uh, maybe doesn't have the arm that he does, but not that that matters that much at first base. Um, brings a, a little bit of a different dynamic as a left-handed hitter. And also, he doesn't strike out as much as Bobby Dahlbeck, who has always been a big whiff guy. A lot has been made about Costas's two-strike approach in which he gets really wide in the box and really chokes up and kind of is a throwback hitter in that way. Um, so I think that could translate to the majors. He isn't you know, slamming down the door at Worcester. He's got some solid numbers there. The power is certainly playing. Um, Worcester is also a park that is kind of designed for left-handed hitters like himself. So I think he's taking advantage of that. But in terms of major league need, the possibility is there. In terms of my pick, I'm still going with Adley Rutschman. You know, the big question for him was the triceps injury. How is he looking coming back from that? He's, he's taking all the boxes coming back. So far, he's played at high A, double A. Now he's at triple A Norfolk. Um, he's batting a clean 400. It's a very small sample. I get that so far, but all the the signs have been certainly encouraging. 14 for 35 to start through those three levels. He struck out only twice. He's taken six walks. He's the Adley Rutschman we thought he would be. We had a story about him reuniting with Grayson Rodriguez and catching his start, and you could tell in the story just how excited Grayson Rodriguez was to throw to Adley Rutschman again. His framing's still really good. He's a major big target back there. Um, obviously the Orioles are not going anywhere this year. It's not like they need him up ASAP, but the big thing for him was just proving health. He probably would have been a major leaguer on opening day and the triceps injury happened and it's pushed him back here going on five weeks from that major league debut. Otherwise I don't see anything that doesn't show major league readiness for him. And, you know, as as long as he clears maybe one more week of hurdles, I, I think he could be up pretty quickly. And, you know, speaking of that story we wrote, there was a fun quote at the end of it from Grayson Rodriguez in which he said, I think that would be the perfect ending to the minor league careers and the perfect start to the big league ones. That's something that'd be pretty amazing. That's him speaking about potentially him and Adley Rutschman debuting on the same day. I'm not saying the Orioles would do that, but that would be one of the coolest moments, uh, one of the coolest major league debuts in recent memory if that were to happen. They, they should do that. I was actually thinking about that too, because again, that was that I mean, was actually my fault. Fo- my follow up question that I mentioned that I had, and I didn't expect for Grayson Rodriguez to answer. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, but, but why wouldn't you do that? I mean, I mean, that would be, I mean, just think of the excitement that you would create in Baltimore for that. And again, I mean, I, I do agree with you, Sam. I do think of the guy who's the most big league ready, it's Adley Rutschman, because I think he was big league ready last year. And as you point out, I mean, the only reason he, he probably didn't make the opening day roster what was health. I mean, it probably does make business sense to wait and, you know, figure out the Super 2 cutoff and, and, and wait another month. Because, I mean, the Orioles aren't going to make the playoffs this year. But, but I mean, 100%, they should have those guys make their debuts together. You would probably sell out Camden Yards, and that would be a, a huge deal. Like, like I mean, I mean there's, there's no reason. I, I can't think of a good reason you wouldn't do that. I mean, and also... I would argue, like, even if that weren't to work out, you would want Adley getting up at the same time as Grayson Rodriguez. The the order should be Rutschman first if they are going to be on separate timelines. Because I think having Grayson Rodriguez throw to Adley Rutschman in his debut is going to be huge for the two of them. I mean, nobody knows Grayson Rodriguez's arsenal better than Adley Rutschman right now. The, The two are on a comfort level, you know, beyond what you typically see in any battery at any level. Um, so if you want Grayson Rodriguez to feel super comfortable on a day that, you know, uh, the, the third deck is going to be kind of haunting him. And, and there's a, there's a lot of reasons to be nervous or not necessarily frightened, but uh, you know, the nerves are going to get to you in your major league debut. And then all of a sudden you look at, back at the plate and one of your best friends is catching you a guy, you know, who is going to help you steal strikes and um, is going to call for the right pitches in the right moments. That's going to be huge for, for Grayson Rodriguez, not only just the fan base, but the pitcher you hope will lead your rotation for the next potential decade. Okay, so let's put you on the spot then. Jim, you mentioned the fact that it would make sense, business sense, to figure out the Super 2 cutoff and wait until then. When are we going to see these guys? Is that going to happen? Are we going to have to wait? I think we're going to have to wait till June. There's really no no incentive to promote the guys now. And if you wait till June, you're still having them up in the big leagues for you know three months. It's they're going to get plenty of time to get acclimated to the big leagues. And Sam, uh, if we're setting June first as the over under date, I will take or before after date. I guess in this case, <laughs> I didn't know I what over under was going to mean. There, I was. I, I, I didn't know either as I was <laughs> saying it. So let's go before after. I will take before on Adley, um, and. I'll take after on, on Grayson Rodriguez because Grayson Rodriguez doesn't have the AAA experience. There's there's that excuse if you want to hold him down and get him more starts at AAA. But Adley Rutschman got AAA at-bats last year, and again, it was just health that he needed to prove, and keeping him down there for a few more weeks <laughs> isn't going to make the triceps look any better. It's, it's probably as good as it's going to get right now. So him just getting these at-bats, getting a few more innings behind the plate, throwing the ball a little bit more. But I, I would say he's up before the end of, of May. Okay, so... Outside of that group, there are about two dozen other top 100 prospects who are at AAA. Is there anyone in particular from that group that you guys think we could see even before one of these guys that we just discussed? Or or who who from that group do you think we'll be seeing first? <laughs> well, we, we probably should exclude Ryan Pepio, right? Like, like my, my pick will be Ryan Pepio since he, <laughs> yeah. he just got added to the taxi squad and reportedly will make a start. They haven't announced it yet. Like, I don't know why you would add him to the taxi squad if he's not going to pitch Wednesday, but it sounds like <laughs> Ryan Pepio will be up. He's an obvious one, and it'll be fun to watch him because he's, I mean, he's probably right there. He and Grayson Rodriguez might have the two best change-ups in the minors, 
And, you know, talk about guys whose stuff's gotten better in pro ball. I mean, he's, he's now throwing 94, 96 and touching 98 with tremendous carry in the strike zone. And his sliders gotten harder and more powerful. So he'd, he'd be the obvious one, but we, I, I guess we probably shouldn't, shouldn't pick the lowest hanging fruit. Should we? Well, you just did. <laughs> you, can, you can pick other fruit too. I mean, I'll go with somebody who isn't necessarily on the cusp. Again, going back to the point I, I just made is sometimes we focus too much on who these guys are as prospects and not where is the fit on the major league team. I don't know if there is a fit right now for this guy, but Shea Langoliers feels like every week we're writing up home runs about this guy and, and cutting clips of him driving the ball in AAA Las Vegas. Right now he has 11 homers, which is half of his total from last year in 70 fewer games. Um, Vegas again another extreme hitter spark he's taking advantage of that but also you're not going to learn much, many lessons if you're selecting close to 700 um in a, an extreme hitters park and then going to oakland that's going to be a rough transition for him and i know sean murphy is there who you know is a quality backstop in his own right shay langoliers could be close to a, a really good all-around package we'll see about the hit tool but the power is certainly playing now he's always been known for his defense he's getting close it, it's it's kind of at the point now i know he's just kind of getting his A's career going but again if he's just going to continue pounding the ball in vegas it's not going to help him any to stay there long and, and potentially learn long-term lessons that are not going to be helpful when he gets to the majors and is uh playing in different environments so wouldn't be surprised if he really knocks down the door if murphy you know god forbid gets hurt in any way i think langoliers is an immediate call uh for the a's man they could trade him too i, I was gonna say the guy who's kind of in a similar boat is max meyer with the marlins who i mean i guess with the expanded playoffs they're kind of in contention right now like i, I don't know I, I don't know if they're in it to win it this year or more still looking towards 2023 and beyond but it's funny you know max meyer got, I think, dinged a little bit because his stuff wasn't as spectacular in his pro debut as it was when he's at the University of Minnesota and becoming the number three pick in the 2020 draft. But but all he did last year was he was double-A central pitcher of the year, went straight to double-A for his debut. He ranked fifth in the minors in the ERA. He finished the year with two you know pretty strong starts in triple-A. And this year he's dominated in triple a uh, you know you know six starts 39 strikeouts 31 innings you know I, I think it's the same type of thing like you're getting to the point like with langoliers where what more is max meyer really going to benefit from being in triple a i i don't think there's a whole lot so i he's a guy who i think we could see pretty soon and in his case there is more of a spot there well i mean you have five starters and if you look at them yeah i mean if you look at their five starters there are a couple. There are a couple spots there where it's hard to imagine Meyer not faring better than they have so far. I mean, Alicia Hernandez should probably be looking over his shoulder right now. You like go. you know, I, I you know Pablo Lopez and Sandy Alcantara are pretty well established. Trevor Rogers hasn't been as great as he was as a rookie, but like he's fine. Jesus Lazardo is looking more like the guy who. I don't know if we ever had him as the top top pitching prospect in baseball, but it was pretty close. But Alicia Hernandez is a six point three seven ERA probably need to step that up to hold Max Meyer off. All right. While we're talking pitchers, let's uh, transition into a look at some pitchers who are off to hot starts in the minor leagues. Uh, Working on a story now where we look at one pitcher for every organization who is off to a hot start. Jim and Sam, let's spotlight a couple of your guys. Sam, let's start with you. I don't know which of your two you're going to start with here, but I am uh, intrigued by both of these guys. Yeah, I'm trying to think which one I want to start with myself. I guess I'll start with the guy who might be off to the hottest start 
in minor league baseball, both of these guys are going to be from the Florida State League. And I'm treading a little bit on Jonathan's territory this week. He is our Phillies guy. But I feel like if we're going to talk about hottest pitchers, somebody has to talk about Andrew Painter of the Phillies organization, the 13th overall pick last year. Just a massive pitcher. He's six foot seven. Questions coming into the year about like how is the stuff going to kind of hold up for him. He is not allowed an earned run to start the year. Through five starts, 20 innings, he struck out 40 batters, walked only seven. He's got a 0.75 whip. Uh, obviously, the, all those numbers are really good. You look at the stuff as well. In his last start, he maxed out at 99.5 miles per hour. Uh, according to StatCast, he averaged 97.4 with his heater. Uh, but also his slider was getting a lot of whiffs. It actually got more whiffs than the fastball. Um, that was sitting around the low 80s. So he's got two premium pitches that he's working with right now. He mixed in a changeup and a curveball, uh, but it's really the fastball and slider that is making him dominate that single A level. You look at some of these starts that he's put together, too. That, that April 23rd one is always going to stand out. Five innings, 14 strikeouts. Just insane. And he's kept it going. Uh, the big question with him going forward is he's topped out at five innings. What's going to happen if he starts facing guys a third time through the lineup? Are the whiffs going to continue? I think that's certainly helped his success to start the year, but the stuff seems to be there. The results certainly have been. Um, Andrew Painter is kind of on the the fast track to maybe being our pipeline pitching prospect of the year. It's very early. We're talking on May 10th. Uh, the other guy is in the Florida State League, kind of in that same area, is Ricky Tiedemann of the Blue Jays organization. And I want to give a shout-out here to Keegan Matheson, who – does a lot of our top 30 work for the preseason stuff for the Blue Jays, who was down there in Dunedin early and was saying, hey, a lot of people are talking about Ricky Tiedemann. He's exciting a lot of folks down here. I think he's their top pitching prospect. Now, he was a third rounder last year, so based off draft position, you might not think, hey, this guy could be their top pitching prospect. But he was really showing it early on in Dunedin, and that seems to have held really well in his most recent start for the Dunedin Blue Jays. He was sitting 94.6 miles an hour, mixing in a slider and a changeup, putting in that changeup much more than Andrew Painter was. So he's acting like a legit three-pitch starter. The whiffs were coming on the heater. Again, it's mid-90s. The sliders are right around 80 miles an hour. The changeup's mid-80s. He's got three quality pitches. He's pitching from the left side. The velo has jumped up. Uh, his numbers on the season right now, 1.44 ERA, 39 strikeouts uh, in 25 innings, and an, a whip of 0.80. Batters are only hitting 101 against him. Uh, and that's so, the best mark in the minors. Sam, by the way, I, I know from doing research, he's tied with Gavin Williams of, of the Indians. That's that's the lowest rate in the minors for opponent average. Yeah, and I, I sometimes don't try to get too jumped into that because that could obviously batting average can depend on the defense behind you and all that kind of stuff. But the fact that all the other markers are there, the fact that the lowest average in the minors that's always always going to pop uh, at least at, at when it's in the one hundreds and when it's right on the precipice of even you know the nineties, it's kind of insane. So keep an eye on Ricky Tiedemann uh, wouldn't have necessarily been on our top 100 long list to begin the year, but he's definitely creeping up there in the same way uh, painter is down there in the FSL. Yeah. I was actually about to say when I was, I was looking at top 100 pitching stats and I was trying, I was sorting by strikeouts and I was like, where is painter? And I couldn't, and I did a screen search for him. I had forgotten that he's not on the top 100. These guys you mentioned Tiedemann specifically about, you know, moving his way up, but are we going to see these guys, you know, a bunch of guys will come off the top 100 list in a couple of weeks when anyone who started the year in the big leagues and has not gone back down 
will reach the threshold for uh, rookie eligibility. So we'll have a bunch of guys coming off then, and we will kind of reset the top 100 at that point. Are we going to see both these guys within the next couple of weeks on the top 100? I think it might be a little bit early on Ricky Tiedemann. I, I, I like Ricky Tiedemann. I'd like to see him pitch for more than a month this year in full season ball before I jump him on the top 100 list. Yeah, Painter, bro, definitely. Okay. I, I think you'll see Andrew Painter. Yeah. Cause, cause, I, I mean, I still think at this point, I mean, like the way we've approached this in the past is, I mean, yeah, you're cognizant of how guys are playing, but you don't want to read too much or too little. Like, not that we would have ranked him a year ago this time, but like Nick York hit, you know, what was it, like 200 in the first month of last season. And, you know, it wasn't like we we're going to draw the conclusion, oh, geez, Nick York can't hit, he's a bust. Um, and, and then he hit like 370 the rest of the way. So I, I just think, you know, for guys to jump on that list, you probably had to be, like, in my mind, close to the list coming into the year. Like, and, you know, I think Andrew Painter has that pedigree. He, he wasn't too far away, but but I, I just would like to see more out of Tiedemann before I I jump on. He, he's more of a midseason top 100 guy for me than a you know opening day roster graduates. You know we need 10 new guys or whatever it's going to be. I, I I I'd wait a little bit longer on him. I think. Okay, and Jim, your two guys. Uh, you have one that is on the top 100 list, one who is not. I'll, I'll let you talk about both of these guys. But I am curious as to your pitcher who's not on the top 100, where you think he fits into the top 100 discussion compared to Tiedemann and Painter. Yeah, and that would be Ken Waldachuk. I like, I think, well, I would have him ahead of Tiedemann because the thing is, Ken Waldachuk did this last year. You know, like, you know, Waldachuk's an interesting guy. He, he was a fifth round pick out of St. Mary's in 2019. And he didn't have a great junior season. He he dominated as a sophomore, and he tried to throw harder and had some velocity, and that wasn't his game, and he struggled. And the Yankees, who do a tremendous job with pitching development, took him in the fifth round. And um, you know he pitched a little bit in 2019 in the Appy League, struck out 49 guys in 29 innings, which you know catches your eye. And then boom, the pandemic comes, and and there's no season in 2020, and. I know when I, we were working on our, our list going into 2021, I have, you know, the Yankees do a good job of kind of alerting me to guys you might want to keep an eye on. And during the pandemic layoff, he got stronger. He scrapped a two-seamer, adopted a four-seamer, and he was hitting 98 miles an hour. And they're like, this guy could pop. And so we, we threw him on the end of the list going into last year. And he came out last year. He didn't allow a run in his first 30 and two-thirds innings in high A. He finished fourth in the minors in strikeouts, strikeout percentage. He now sits 92-95, but even better than the velocity, just the shape and, and angle and carry on his fastball, guys swing under it all the time. Um, he's added – the Yankees have done a really nice job with a lot of pitchers of adding sweep to sliders, and his slider was kind of a you know fringy to average pitch when they got him, and now it's a solid to plus pitch that plays really well off the fastball. He's, he's got a fading changeup. That can be a plus pitch also. And and so anyway, you know, I, I think I use this expression all the time. You know, guys who break out, I'm always curious, okay, what's Ken Waldachuk going to do as an encore? Well, well, so far this year in double-A, he's got 40 strikeouts in 23 and two-thirds innings. Uh, and the stuff's continuing to play. Um, wouldn't be surprised if we see him in triple-A pretty soon. And I I mean, I don't know about you, Sam. I, I know I would put Waldachuk ahead of Tiedemann just because I think he's got a longer track record and he's done it at higher levels. Oh, no, mo- most definitely. I'm actually working on a story now that hopefully will be up soon this week um, after talking to Ken Waldachuk at AA Somerset uh, for our last MLB Pipeline game of the month. 
Uh, we went through his arsenal and him talking about the slider, which he's very much bought into what they call the whirly in the Yankee system. Um, there's been some writing about what that pitch is and how they're making it move. But he said, when I talked to him, like, I really use it right now to backfoot right-handers. And that's not something we always hear from left-hand pitching prospects. It's usually when I'm going up a right-hander, it's, it's the changeup that I'm leaning on most heavily. It's the slider for him. And uh, I cut some clips. It did exactly what he, he wanted it to do. It's almost Frisbee-like. It's diving right towards guys' feet, and they don't know it until the last second. And they look absolutely foolish. Um, one of the telling quotes for me when I talked to him was, you know, how, how do you kind of determine where everything's going? How are you aiming your pitches? And he said, listen, I have pitches that go every direction. I have ones that go northeast. I have ones that go northwest, southwest, southeast. I'm basically knowing where the pitches, where the shape is, and I'm aiming middle and then just letting the movement do the work from there. Um, it's really special stuff. He probably should be in AAA at this point, uh, but all four of his pitches are capable of getting whiffs on their day, and it's 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 pretty special to see him do that. So he's he's very much on the cusp, I think. Yeah, and just you know, I mean, again, it's not a full season yet, but I mean, last year he had a, his strikeout percentage was thirty six, which is exceptional. So far this year, it's been forty five, and then kicking that up even another notch. He doesn't even have the best strikeout rate of all the the hot pitchers I wrote about. That would actually go to Kyle Harrison of the Giants, who. You know, we've talked about him on the podcast before. You know, very interesting progression with him. Third round pick who got late first round money in the 2020 draft. And in high school, when I saw him at the PDP League, the first PDP League in 2019, he had a reputation of being a polished lefty with, you know, okay stuff. And you hoped it kind of came on. And, you know, again, no 2020 season for him to make his debut, but he goes to instructional league and bam, he's throwing 94, 97 um, and just blowing guys away with it. He's, he's even ticked up. And, and I talked to him, I actually talked to him in spring training. It was a fun interview. And he said, he thinks he would have thrown harder as a senior. He, I think he only made one starter. It was, it was his high school season was very brief because of the pandemic and he was starting to throw harder. And he thinks, he would have had a different reputation, like like he would have shown this velocity then, but but he's gone from being a, you know, kind of that that polished lefty with with okay stuff to now he's a power lefty who's got a fastball with plenty of carry. He's got a hard like eighty two eighty five mile an hour uh, slider. Um, his changeup shows some promise. And, you know, he's still, you know, still learning to harness the stuff that's, that's taken off on him. You know, last year he walked about a guy every other inning and it's, it's a little better this year, but if he gets back to like the, the solid, the plus control and, and, and average to solid command that he had, or you projected on him in high school to go with this newfound stuff, he's going to be spectacular because so far this year, he's got 42 strikeouts in 19 innings, which is all is 19.9 per nine innings. I think when I checked, he was, he's like an inning short of, of qualifying or else he would lead the minors, but he's, but both those guys are, are, you know, after having these, you know, kind of breakout dominant years have been even more dominant in early going this year. All right. So those are four pitchers who are off to extremely hot starts to begin this 2022 season got a story on mlb.com slash pipeline if it's not up already by the time you listen to this it will be shortly and uh, we're looking at a picture for each organization off to a blazing start we're going to take a quick break sam alluded to our pipeline game of the month we've got another one coming up 
this week, a very exciting one. We're going to preview that as well as Jim's mock draft. And we've got a question in the mailbag to answer. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Sam Dykstra, Jim Callis. I'm John. Uh, wait, I'm. You're Jonathan Mayo. I'm what? not Jonathan Mayo. No, no. <laughs> what happened? Surprise. Guys, <laughs> He's unmasked himself. Jonathan the whole time doing a Jason Ratliff impersonation. <laughs> wow. No, I'm Jason Ratliff. Um, okay, so we have been putting uh, minor league games on MLB.tv over the past couple of weeks. Hope uh, everyone's been enjoying that. If you have not yet, be sure to uh, stay tuned to uh, our Twitter handle. Uh, keep an eye on MLB.com slash pipeline where we're promoting all of these games. We're trying to get these games out in front of more people so they can watch all these top prospects. In addition to that, we've been doing a pipeline game of the month. Well, I say we've been doing it. We've done it once. Sam kicked this off uh, by going to Somerset on Anthony Volpe's 21st birthday. And the idea here, Sam, I'll let you explain it. This is uh, largely your brainchild and you did a great job on the first one. But you are headed to Norfolk uh, where we have a great matchup between Memphis and the Tides. We have Levitor, we have Gorman, we have Adley, we have Grayson. We didn't know how many of these guys we were going to have or who was actually going to be in action, but it looks like we may end up with the best possible scenario. Yeah, we, we certainly seem to have lucked out in the way this has gone. Um, they haven't officially announced, but based off everything we're hearing, it will be Grayson Rodriguez versus Matthew Libertor on Thursday. Uh, that is a 12.05 Eastern start. So if you are looking for something to watch in the middle of the day on Thursday, this game will be available to you. Two top 100 pitching prospects, uh, of, you know, facing off against each other, one from the right side, one from the left side. Uh, it would have been enough for me, honestly, if it was Adley Rutschman in the lineup and Nolan Gorman in the lineup for Memphis, uh, two top 100 prospects just hitting. That would have been good enough for me. Probably would have been good enough for you at home. But, no, it's going to be more than that. Um, we're going to get a primo pitching matchup as well. Uh, not only are we just bringing that to you, I'm going to be in Norfolk. Uh, for any of you who followed what we did in Somerset, we brought you a ballpark tour. Before the game, uh, we also had a pregame Instagram live with Anthony Volpe that we posted to our social channels as well. Um, hoping to do that this time with Adley Rutschman, uh, check in on him, check in on his health, what he's expecting to see out of Grayson Rodriguez that day, and how close he might be to the major leagues. I'm still trying to nail that stuff down. but uh, And we'll do some other stuff around the park as well. Apparently, you know, talking to the Tides, there will be a ship 
of sailors that basically have been brought in for the game, uh, you know, giving them some entertainment in the middle of a Thursday afternoon. Um, so, you know, we'll be kind of bouncing around the park, talking to some of those guys, hopefully getting on the Norfolk broadcast uh, and talking to you about Orioles prospects and Cardinals prospects. But we will be on the ground. If there's something you want to see from Harbor Park in Norfolk, tweet at me at Sam Dyche, MILB. Um, hopefully I can bring that to you guys. And, you know, it, one other thing is we've been doing our ballpark guides. We don't have one for Norfolk yet. That will come out of this as well. Um, so there's a whole chunk of content that's going to be coming out of this game. Um, I'm also hoping to talk to DL Hall. He is not scheduled to start on Thursday. Um, so maybe we'll do a pitching repertoire discussion with him as well. Uh, still feeling our way out of the, our way through this. It is the second one we've ever done. So again, if you guys have, Anything you want to see uh, from the park in Norfolk, please let us know. But it uh, should be an exciting Thursday for sure. And I do hope you tune in because that game is on MLB TV. Uh, it's never been easier to watch one of these games. And you're going to want to watch this game uh, because of the two pitching prospects and to see how close to the majors those two guys really are. And we should mention that this game and all these games are free. Initially, uh, you had to have an MLB.tv subscription to watch these. Now we're bringing them to you for free, giving you uh, just a sampling of what you can get with an MILB.tv subscription where you can watch every MILB game that is streamed on MILB.tv over the course of the season. Okay, Sam, thank you for previewing that. And now, Jim, how about you preview uh, an upcoming mock draft? Yeah, we'll have a mock draft coming out Wednesday night. Is that our plan, Jason? Wednesday night into Thursday? Is that yeah? It, yeah, we'll be able to be able to dig into it on on Thursday morning. So it'll be um, roughly two months and one week, which still seems strange uh, to say it's that far off in the future. The draft, but uh, so not you know more kind of laying out scenarios. Not not necessarily a lot of certainty. You hear Orioles, I think, are down to five names. Don't know exactly who the five names are. I think it's some combination of the big four high school bats who are at the top of our, our draft top 150, Drew Jones, Jackson Holiday, Elijah Green, Termar Johnson, and a couple of the college guys, probably Brooks Lee of Cal Poly, who we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago, Jacob Berry of LSU. You know, it's interesting, man. I do think, I, I haven't plotted it out now. I don't think I'll have any pitchers in the top 10. Maybe I'll go pitcher at 11. It seems like Andrew Dukanich of Indiana might be the first pitcher. Uh, all still fluid, so don't hold me to any of this. And I was, I was actually going to throw open to you guys before we get into the listener questions. We'd have the the podcast participant questions. If each of you had a specific player you were curious about, and I could tell you what the buzz might be about that individual. Mine is, and this goes back to when I was just following these guys in, in Team USA trials last year. And really enjoyed watching him and digging into him. And he seems to kind of be settling into the middle round, the middle of the first round. And I get it. Pitching isn't what it was, but I'm really fascinated by Jackson Ferris. What are you hearing on Jackson Ferris? Yeah, you know, he's, you know, as we've talked about many times on the podcast, you know, the college pitchers have been decimated by injuries. Uh, Dylan Lesko, the top high school pitchers, had Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, so did Cole Phillips. Um, you know, it's not been a good year for pitching for pitchers in this draft. And as a result, high school pitchers who sometimes teams are a little skittish about taking them. I, I don't think you're going to be skittish. You, you can't really be skittish about taking high school pitchers. If you want pitchers in this year's draft, because all the best or, or the vast majority of the healthy top pitchers in this draft come from high school, but no Ferris is right there. He's, you know, I, I think there's 
you know, whether he goes ahead of Brandon Barriera, who's another Florida high school lefty, or Robbie Snelling, a Nevada high school lefty, is really coming on. But all three of those guys could factor in, I think, to the middle of the first round somewhere. I mean, you know, I, I saw Ferris in Denver last year at the high school all-star game. And, you know, I'm sure you saw what I, you know, similar stuff at, at the PDP, Sam. But, I mean, it's, you know, good fastball, you know, 92, 95 with life. It, it's, it's a classic downer curveball. It's really good feel for changeup. It strikes. It's a super projectable body. He's really exciting. So I think right now, I think he goes, you know, probably in that 11 to 25 range somewhere. Hmm. Jim, the guy I'm curious about, and I think a lot of people are curious about, and it's because the name is well known and because of what happened last year, but Kumar Rocker, <laughs> what what's going on here? And, and I guess a more specific question for you is the longer we go without seeing him, we continue to sort of drop down or out of the mock drafts until, until there's word on what's going on. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I have nothing new on Kumar rock. I, I, I'm not going to include him. I don't think in the mock because the guys who are hurt and, or, I mean, we don't know exactly what's going on with him after he failed the physical with the Mets. He's not, we have no official word on what's going on with him, but he hasn't pitched. The expectation with Rocker after he spent last season at Vanderbilt and went 10th in the draft and failed the physical and the $6 million bonus deal blew up was everybody, I think, in baseball expected, okay, he's probably going to pitch in an independent league somewhere this spring and show what he has. And the independent leagues have already started play and there's still no word. Um, you know, nobody knows for sure exactly, you know, outside the Mets, why he failed their physical, you know, you know, teams can have different interpretations, but, you know, before anybody has any idea where he's really going to go in the draft, A, he's going to have to throw and B, you know, to show what the stuff looks like. I mean, it did fluctuate some last year, although, I mean, to be fair, Jack Leiter's stuff fluctuated at times and he had a little mid season. Um, before he went number two in the draft. And you're going to have to get a handle on what the medical reports are. And, and to this point, nobody's seen the medical. They obviously haven't seen him on the mound. Um, he, he's represented you know, by the Boris Corporation. They've been very quiet. There's been no announced plan. There's been, you know, you know, Scott is not afraid of letting people know how good his players are doing. And Scott hasn't said a word about Kumar to anyone. So he... I think is the biggest there, – there are a lot of wild cards in this draft with all the pitchers with, with you know injury health situations, and I think Kumar's the biggest wild card by far. I mean, when we have conversations about him, like half the time I feel like I ask scouts, what have you heard about Kumar? And half the time they beat me to the punch and ask me what I've heard about Kumar because nobody's heard anything. And I know when we ranked him, when we updated the top 150, I don't think we, we adjusted him much, but – Basically, the advice we've gotten, like, I mean, because I've said, too, like, where are you supposed to rank this guy? Like, you, you don't know his health. He hasn't pitched. And they just said, ah, you know, maybe discount him some because, you know, he failed the physical. But you kind of have to assume until you know otherwise that, okay, he's, you know, if you want to call him hurt or, or questionable health, you know, the stuff was still pretty good last year. And, you know, the thing is, I mean, of all these injured pitchers, I mean, he's accomplished more than any of the injured college pitchers. I mean, he was really good as a freshman. He was MVP of the College World Series, and he threw the 19 strikeout no-hitter in the Super Regionals, and he tied for the Division One strikeout lead last year. I mean, his resume's better than any college pitchers in the draft. But, um, 
yeah, I still, it's crazy. It's May 10th and nobody has any idea, you know, when or if he's going to pitch again. All right. So keep an eye out for Jim's mock draft. That'll be out uh, midweek this week as we record this on Tuesday. Uh, Let's move on to our final segment, the mailbag. We have a question from the Twitter handle Mets next year. What is the reason that so many highly touted prospects are struggling in their MLB debut? Were they rushed, developmental issue due to all the lost time, or is this par for the course? Fine question from Mets next year. Well, I think the the immediate answer, or the one that jumps to mind, is I I think everybody's struggling to hit for the most part in the big league. I, I just think we're at a, at a point where, you know, strikeout rate has never been higher. And the stuff, the quality of stuff at the big league level has never been higher. And I, I, th- th- that's the part that jumps out to me the most. I, I don't think it's that these guys weren't ready or they were rushed. In an ideal world, you wouldn't have had the pandemic and everybody would have had another 500 at-bats. But Bobby Wood Jr., Leo Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, I mean, these are very high-quality elite prospects and I just think it's the nature of pitching and hitting in the big leagues right now more than anything. Yeah, to your to your point there, Jim, um, Julio Rodriguez right now has a 668 OPS, which isn't what we expect him to do over the rest of the season. Do you guys want to guess what that translates to a, in a WRC plus right now? 100 is average. I'll say 100 and I'll say 110. Jason, do you have a guess? I'll go 117. Okay, well, it's 105. Okay. You guys kind of overshot it, but you're making my point for me is that we're in an offensive environment right now where even a 668 OPS is considered above average, which is crazy. So you might be thinking this year, Julio Rodriguez is not off to a good start. He's actually technically been an above average hitter in the major leagues, which, you know, as major league is ready as we thought he was coming into the year is still kind of crazy for being so young as he is and somebody who did not see AAA whatsoever. Um, but even to the point of why are these guys struggling? I mean, A, the major leagues are hard, which Jim mentioned. But also, we were always big on these guys because of their abilities to make adjustments. And you look at what Witt and Julio are doing right now. In Bobby Witt Jr.'s last 15 games, he's batting 298, which goes against the grain of the, the narrative for him. He's not hitting for much power. He only has one homer in that span. But he's getting the hits. The speed is playing He's going to be fine. Everything's kind of clicking into place for him. Julio has been even better. In his last 17 games, he's batting 339 with an 881 OPS. Uh, if you watch him now, he looks so much more comfortable up there. The narrative for him was that he was getting some called third strikes that were defeating him that were outside the zone. You could look at what the zone was on TV, in baseball, Zavant, wherever. He was kind of getting beat outside the zone, which you know. He has a very good eye at the plate. He knows what a strike is. He wasn't swinging at third strikes. Maybe that's on him for not expanding the zone a little bit in those scenarios. But still, he's coming around into his own. The biggest question I have right now in that major group is Spencer Torkelson. He's going the other way. He seems to be swinging and missing a lot. The power isn't quite there for him just because he is making the right amount of contact. Again, I believe in his ability to adjust to major league pitching, and, and we'll see how that comes along here as the sample expands. Uh, but the other two guys are very quickly becoming who we expect them to be all along, which are five tool talents. And all of it is playing right now as we get into May. And and when we do it, did our rookie power rankings a couple of weeks ago, that's why we still had Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt Jr. ranked pretty high on that list because we believed in their ability to turn around 
and now we're already seeing it. Yeah, Spencer Torkelson, over the past 10 days and 28 plate appearances, two hits, both singles, two walks, 11 strikeouts, nearly 40% K rate. All right. Thanks to Mets Next Year for that question. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.